Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Uno, cero. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. You guys missed all the good intro during the countdown. Best part of the show. We should start including that. Of course, yeah, we should just record ourselves talking about random stuff, and then uh, and then everyone will quit Uh, listening. All six people, they will be done. So that's what we've been doing for two years now. Anyway, so back another episode, EMS on the Mountain. Uh, Today again, we're uh, I don't know, depending on order of release. As you know, most people in the podcast industry don't record like the day before, the day of something coming out. Unless you're way behind the power curve, not to say that we haven't had a couple of those episodes, you can probably identify them. But uh, we're we're working into a, a new format that you're going to see almost exclusively, especially hitting into 2024. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to start talking some more general EMS topics. And then, of course, we'll put a, our wilderness spin and see how they apply to wilderness practice, et cetera, mm-hmm. and take it from there. So with that, one of the big things that's been popping up in a lot of the EMS journals and some of the other mainstream podcasts and stuff like that, if you're if you're out there and you're paying attention to those, is the movement right now for the paramedic practitioner. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, we're going to get into it a little bit. Now, we're probably not going to do as huge a deep dive into some of the whys and why nots. I mean, we are, but not quite as much as some of these other podcasts that are either for or against. But uh, we're certainly going to talk about what the paramedic practitioner, kind of what the current vision is, what that may or may not mean to the world of EMS, and then how it might apply in the wellness setting. So with that, Mike, make us smart. I don't know how I'm going to make us smart. Or, or less, <laughs> less uneducated. Less uneducated is probably a better term. I want to preface what I'm about to say. And my opinion is going to become pretty clear in the process of recording this podcast. I'm going to preface this with, this is my opinion. This is not the opinion of my employer, my employers, my volunteer life, my anything else. This is Mike's opinion. I'm also going to put out the qualifier that this has been an ongoing conversation for 20 some odd years and is not, there is no binary answer that seems to make a lot of sense. This is my assessment of the situation. So I'm going to start with a little bit of history. As the internet is apt to do, if I get any of this history wrong or my research has led me in the wrong direction, well, there's an email address where you can send an email and let me know. If you want to yell at me on social media, we'll aptly ignore it, as we usually do when you tell us we're stupid on social media. If you want to have an intelligent conversation or explain to me where you think I got this wrong, the show at emsonthemountain.com is the way to do that. We're happy to bring anyone else on that wants to continue this conversation. We're happy to bring you into the conversation and record the the discussion. But if you want to yell at me in social media or yell at us in social media or reply and tell us we're stupid, go for it, man. The delete button works. Okay. So this is a pretty in-depth preface that I've kind of pseudo prepared. So I want to lay out some things. Sean's going to keep me honest because I may get a thing or two wrong. I'm usually pretty bad at explaining things. I'm a much better practitioner than I am a talker. There's so little truth to that, but so, so does not bode well for your patients. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first off, I want to clarify 
something that in conversations I've had in the hallways of the station and in conversation with other providers, et cetera, et cetera. The current conversation going on inside of the community is one, and I'm going to say current, even though it's been going on for a while. The current conversation going on in the community has really focused lately around paramedic practitioners. So the first question you're going to ask is, what the hell is a paramedic practitioner in principle? Because it doesn't exist. I want to be clear, there's no such thing. There is actually the terminology used in certain places, but the concept of the structure in which it is being talked about in certain governmental and certain agency circles, it doesn't currently exist. I will caveat that within the United States. Within the United States. Yep. I should caveat that this whole thing is within the United States. There are paramedic practitioners in other countries. This has been coupled with, and the reason I'm drawing, I'm going to draw a bunch of correlations or a bunch of lines in the sand here. And I realize this is a audio only podcast, so this is going to get messy. Stay with me or take notes or whatever. The concept of paramedic practitioner is being talked about. That is being coupled with or co-joined with a conversation around advanced degrees for paramedicine, which has largely been affiliated with doing community paramedicine. And to bring it full circle is talked about in some circles as an equivalent to a nurse practitioner or a, well, mostly nurse practitioner. We'll leave, we'll leave, we'll leave other avenues physicians, assistants, and stuff out of that. But it's largely talked about in recent circles and in recent conversations is the paramedic profession should have a paramedic practitioner, just like there's a career progression for nurses to ultimately move on to nurse practitioners. Is that a fair assessment? Sean, would you agree with that perspective on the conversation? Yes. And I don't know if you're going to discuss it, but for those not familiar, they're looking at this as a master's degree level education. Correct. Correct. So, okay. So what's the difference between a paramedic practitioner and a community paramedic? Maybe not a lot, maybe a whole lot. Kind of depends on the implementation. here. And there is no implementation plan yet. So it's kind of hard to draw a clear line. But let me try to make clear as best I understand it, the scope of these. Community paramedicine has existed in some way, man, shape or form since about 1993, give or take. Uh, There's a community in... uh, I believe it's New Mexico. There's the Red River Fire Department, super rural community. Uh, way back in the day, they sort of executed against a plan to have the medical directors educate the local paramedics and things like removing sutures and more community paramedicine things as they are often thought of now, right? General community care sort of things. The clinic was actually run on the second floor of the, the town. Hall, I believe, or not the town hall, the, uh, why can't I think of the name of it? The administration building for the community, right? The, the office where the mayor works and stuff, whatever the name of it is. But the nearest hospital is two hours away. So the concept of a community paramedic has been around for a long time in some way, manner, shape, or form. Austin County, Austin Travis, uh, Austin Texas. Travis County. Texas. Yes. Uh, they're using physicians' assistants and community paramedics, and they're kind of, in some ways, leading the charge in having paramedics go out and do follow-up care or using community paramedicine as a way to reduce the number of people that are just put in a boo-boo box and driven to the ED. Their system largely has follow-up within 24 hours when a community paramedic comes and sees a, a frequent flyer and finds out what the problem is, their gout acted up, whatever the case may be. But my point here is 
And now that everybody's going to be already mad at me for screwing this up. <laughs> oh, we're only going to get four emails because there's only seven listeners. The concept of paramedics doing things other than 911 response has been around in a large swath of skill sets for a long, long time, right? We've had paramedics doing more community care. We've had paramedics doing work to reduce 911 frequent flyers in some communities. Paramedics, excuse me, often act in transport modalities as opposed to 911 response modalities to move people from a local community facility to a regional hospital. Paramedics have long done a large swath of jobs that are not just 911 response. I just want to lay that out there, right? A lot of times people talk about paramedics being, oh, they're the guys that come when I call 911. They are. They also do a lot of things. They work in hospitals. A paramedic has a large swath of opportunity. Is that fair, Sean? Yeah. And I would say that uh, a couple of good things, you know, again, tying it in with the theme of our podcast is paramedics working like gas oil platforms at sea things like that, right? Where you might be this the one and only trained medical provider like out there in these austere environments, like on a ship, cruise ships. A lot of cruise ships have like a nurse practitioner, paramedic team or something to that effect. But like gas oil platforms, whether they're at sea or on land in some of these remote locations, you have like one paramedic who's there. And you're not just emergency response, but you're the day-to-day clinical medical representative. So when somebody comes into your little clinic and says, I'm not feeling good today, you're doing your assessment saying, all right, well, it looks like you might have a cold. It might be coming down with this, you know, depending on where you're working, you know, is this chikungunya or fucking, I told you to stay away from the girls in town. You've now got gonorrhea. Yeah. You've got the rhea. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, yeah, I think there's a lot of clinical examples of paramedics doing what we'll call more traditional clinical setting jobs than just the 911 response or critical care flight stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, this is something that's been out there for a while. And yeah, so if you didn't know, yeah, paramedics do more than just 911 response and ambulances or with fire departments. Yeah, he just summarized what I just spent 10 minutes saying in one sentence. Paramedics do more than 911 response. And sometimes when we have these conversations, people lose sight of the fact that the paramedicine profession is more than just getting on an ambulance and going wheel, wheel, wheel to someone's house. There are a lot of opportunities. I'm making this whole point to make my next point. I have not heard, there may be one, but I have not heard a clear definition of the problem as it relates to patient care. Now, there are a lot of definitions of the quote unquote problem that a master's program level paramedic could solve for. Most of the arguments I have been hearing, and this includes, what was it the ICAPP, the International? Uh, oh yeah, uh, the critical uh, or advanced practice paramedics. The International College of Advanced Practice Paramedics recently issued a letter that said they they strongly support the investigation of an advanced practice paramedic sort of education process within the United States. Well, of course they do. They're a membership body that you can join and they will advocate for you. And this gets back to my root problem that I keep hearing over and over and over. There is no career progression or salary, commiserate salary equivalent for paramedics as there is to the nursing profession or the doctoring profession. And that's true to a certain extent. But I think we're really missing, no one has been able to give me a clear problem definition yet 
as to what the hell the problem is we're going to solve by forcing people to go get more schooling. So here's a couple other thoughts. These are somewhat random. Yes, I will fully admit, career progression for a paramedic, especially somebody that is not in a fire system, can be limited. But the root of that problem is how we do bill for service and provide pre-hospital billing and structures and the CMS model for providing care. Yes, we have a massive problem in this country with de facto answers being take them to the doctor place and drop them off. Neither of those particular problems are solved with more education. You can get as smart as you want. John and I have talked a lot about how we pursue a lot of education in various avenues to make sure that we are better providers on whole because we value knowledge and we pursue education for the act of pursuing education. But if I got a master's degree in paramedicine, unless there's a compensation model that we can come up with that's going to pay me more to be a paramedic, it doesn't really matter how much education we have. The money ain't there. It's just not there. Now, there's the argument of, well, paramedics should be paid commiserately with nurses. Okay, it's fine. I'll hear the argument. They are two different jobs, in my opinion. I think the lines are getting torn down a little bit in some aspects. But fundamentally, nurses carry out care. Paramedics carry out care. Nurses do pre-hospital work, typically in critical care arenas, flight arenas, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not 911 response on a truck sort of jobs. Paramedics work in hospitals. There's a lot of overlap, give or take, depending on what you're allowed to do, what you're legislative bodies allow for, what your certifications allow for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My point here is not paramedics should be nurses and nurses should be paramedics. My point is you can go get a nursing degree too. I know a number, like I won't say a number, a handful of paramedics that also have nursing degrees. Like you can move fluidly between the two and pursuing education in both probably makes you a better provider. It also gives you more opportunities for income generation because you have a larger swath of things you can do. But Adding another level of practitioner on top of paramedic, and I'm going to get to the education piece here in a minute, doesn't necessarily open up job opportunities if the market isn't there to pay for it. And I haven't seen a clear argument around the problem solution that it solves. And it really comes down to this. This is a, a hand-wavy definition of the difference between a nurse and a nurse practitioner, but I think it really summarizes the point. I've read this in a number of places. I've heard this in other places. Registered nurses carry out care. Nurse practitioners largely uh, complete advanced education to write a plan for care, right? Again, that's not to say that a nurse practitioner can't provide care or that a nurse can't do some level of diagnostician work to figure out what's wrong with something. But holistically, as a system, the reason a nurse practitioner receives the extra education they do is so that they can be better at formulating a care plan for a patient, right? Figuring out what to do for them. Nurses are still largely the executors of the care, give or take. That's a generalization. Do you need a paramedic to come into your house and generate a care plan for you? If that is a required thing of the market, do we have a gap in skill set somewhere else that could do that job but isn't that we need to solve? We say that a different way. If it is really important to have a nurse practitioner or it is, it is germane to the care of our patients to have a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant or a physician or somebody else or a 
an advanced practice paramedic come into your house and say, yep, you have X, Y, or Z malady. Here's a prescription to take care of said malady. Go do stuff. It doesn't solve the damn problem. The patients still aren't getting to the doctor because we have a broken system of if you're in a certain economic class, you're not getting preventative care. And in general, people don't like going to the doctor unless they have to. Adding more diverse levels of certification and more education processes to muddy the waters some more doesn't solve for the fact that in large swaths of this country, there is nobody to come to your house and have a home care visit in the way we're talking about using paramedic or advanced practice paramedics. And those systems that are forward-leaning that have been working towards solving that problem are already using community paramedicine frameworks to do this. Adding an advanced practice paramedic role, well, it would be awesome, right? If I were a younger paramedic and I was still in the, I want to go to college game, yeah, cool. I might pursue a master's degree in paramedicine, but I'm going to take the same classes as a nurse practitioner. I'm going to have to take the same biology and the same science classes and the same foundational courses that would make me an, a, a master's degree practitioner of medicine, regardless of what the little patch in my arm says or the color of my uniform, right? Whether it's scrubs or whether it's a, a job shirt, I'm coming with the same foundational knowledge if I make the job. So let's pretend we're going to do it. If we're going to make an advanced practice paramedic thing a thing, we probably need to forklift the entire paramedic education process. The Bob's paramedic school framework has to go away because it's no longer a go get your certification, get a job with a fire department, or go join a fire department and do their internal training to get a national registry certification. It's a stepping stone. And that probably means that if we're going to professionalize paramedicine, as opposed to making it a, this is terminology, this isn't exactly language, but paramedicine is largely a blue collar job, right? It is a there's a position that you can get in an associate's degree level of education, and you can make a pretty good living, give or take, doing that. And there are a bunch of career opportunities beyond that. But if we're going to make some sort of practitioner of paramedicine a thing, I don't think the answer is clear enough as to how that's different than a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant or somebody else that has gone and gotten a different but similar advanced practice degree. The problem keeps coming back in my mind to we have a healthcare system that isn't really good at providing care outside of the healthcare system, i.e. in your house. And we keep throwing education and degree conversations at it, but we haven't really solved for the fact that people aren't getting the preventative care they need. I'm going to stop for a second and let Sean give me all of his thoughts on <laughs> 20 minutes of talking I just did. All right. So uh, I didn't take notes, probably should have. So we'll <laughs> I said a lot. I definitely said a lot. So we're going to kind of loop back towards the beginning. I think one of the one of the big distinctions I think people that aren't familiar with, with somebody, if you were classified as a practitioner, one of the things that comes with that, because that is a very specific medical term, there's a definition that goes with that. And if you become a practitioner, whether that's a PA or an MP, or for my, my brethren out there serving the great nation, special operations, independent duty corpsmen, who are independent providers, and they are considered practitioners, you get what's called an NPI. And we're not going to go into all that. But basically what that means is you have the authority to prescribe medication independently of a physician. And so that would be, I would say, in the world of paramedicine and community paramedicine, that is going to be your number one differentiator, right? Because you're now talking about a paramedic who's gone to school. He has his master's degree in advanced care paramedicine, whatever it's going to be. 
and they can now prescribe you meds, which cool, right? That that's neat. My my thing with that is 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 the model everybody's talking about employing these paramedics in is is not in a clinical setting per se, right? Like we do, like Mike mentioned, we have paramedics that work in EDs and we have paramedics who work in EDs who are allowed to practice at their full paramedic scope of practice. Mm-hmm. So within that emergency department, yes, I've got to get perhaps the, uh, the doc will give the order to administer whatever med, but I go to the PIXIS, I pull it, I administer it. Or your patient has, starts to code, I can grab the crash cart and I can just intubate because I'm there and I'm qualified to do so. Whereas your average nurse in the ED cannot still right? Intubation is still, for the most part, by and large, not within a standard nurse's scope of practice. So you've already, yeah, I mean, and why are, and a lot of emergency departments are hiring paramedics now. And A, partly because of the nursing shortage, and B, you can get someone, and again, this applies almost directly to the emergency departments, right? That not necessarily the other departments in a hospital, but someone who is almost analogous with a nurse. They can administer medications, they can start IVs, they can pull blood for labs, they can do the EKGs, they can interpret EKGs, and they didn't have to attend a special course to do so. It's just part of their job. And at the same time, I can pay them less because they're paramedics and they're used to getting paid less. Mm-hmm. Different problem set. So as Mike hinted at, some of the organizations that have been opposed to the paramedic practitioner, it's because of the education requirement, which you shouldn't because it doesn't impact, like nobody's going to make, well, somebody could, but I doubt it. We don't have nationalized healthcare model, right? So nobody's going to make all the various fire departments, a certain percentage of your paramedics have to go and get a master's degree and become paramedic practitioners, right? That's not the model. Mm-hmm. So this is truly an independent, you want to do it because you want to do it just like the nursing field kind of growth model, right? Not every nurse who gets a master's degree in nursing becomes a, a nurse practitioner. Right. Some just right. get master's degrees in nursing and still love just being nurses. They're just more educated. But I think the biggest barrier, and this is where you keep running up against the old school mentality of I don't need no college. How's an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree gonna make me a better paramedic argument that everybody throws out there to fight against the college degree requirement for paramedics in general? Until all those old guys, and honestly, they're my age and older. Until those guys go away, that model is not going to change until somebody forces it. And I don't remember who, it might have been the world's okayest podcast, Mike Caruncio. I believe he was discussing the fact that college educations weren't a prerequisite or requirement for nurses either until the NCLEX, which is the nursing equivalent of the National Registry exam, said you must have a college degree to sit this test. Right. It wasn't even nursing in general. It was like if the registry suddenly said to sit the national registry exam for paramedics, you must have an associate's degree in paramedicine or something like Mm -hmm. that. Right. What you want. There's not going to be a requirement because nationally, because, again, just the way our and again, nothing against it. I'm I'm a big fan. Right. But our country has this whole thing about states rights. Right. Each state gets to determine what is best for it outside of those things that are obviously established by the federal government. But. And so until you can get all 50 states on board, it's not going to happen. But I think that's one of the first steps we have to do is make the education requirement an associate's degree for all paramedics. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. I think that just should be the way it is. But whatever. And tied at the exact same time or before is you also have to fix the billing model, right? 
So as yeah. Mike mentioned, you work a 911 system. It's not a, you're not billing. It's not a fee for service. It's a fee for miles, right? So fee collection for an ambulance service, whether that's a municipal fire department doing it, a municipal third service or a private ambulance agency, the bill is by miles, a little bit between BLS, ALS care. And there's generally two levels of what ALS, ALS one and two. Yeah. ALS 1 and 2, and then there's BLS, and ALS 2 requires right. two ALS level things. Right, yeah, and there's... You don't bill for, I provided you N number of, of administrations of fentanyl. That billing model doesn't exist. Right? It's exactly, right. Thing. Right, and so whether you're you're billing somebody at 50 cents, 75 cents, or a dollar a mile, depending, I mean, those are just example numbers, folks. That's why, particularly on the private ambulance side, there's no money in it right? There's a little bit of money, but not a lot. And you have to fix all of these, right? Because that billing model is also what's holding back the pay for the paramedics and EMTs that are out there, which is why if you want to make money as an EMS provider, you almost exclusively have to be part of a fire service, right? You have to be one of those fire services that also does EMS. And for folks like me, I don't want to be a firefighter, right? I've dabbled in fire. It really didn't interest me. I don't want to also have to ride an engine to be a paramedic and ride a ride the nine one one transport unit, right? I want to take it one step further. I know systems. I have looked at working for systems where I don't ever have to ride an engine after I've become a firefighter. They will let me ride a medic unit all the time, and I still don't want to be a damn firefighter because it turns out I don't want to be a firefighter. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of folks that are like that, right? That I mean, just like firefighters who go to paramedics, well, mostly it's for the pay bump. You know, there's a few who generally want to be paramedics, but most of them, by and large, it's either A, they need to for career progression for them. Like you want to become a lieutenant, you want to become a captain, a chief, et cetera. Well, becoming an ALS provider is part of that step. And by the way, a lot of those jurisdictions that are out there with fire departments are also starting to require degrees for various promotional levels, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be a captain, you got to have your associates. You want to go to chief, you got to have your bachelors. Well, it's weird because a lot of these fire agencies are the ones fighting against paramedics having to have college degrees too, but I digress. Yeah, it is ironic. And so there's a lot of stuff, in my opinion, that we have to fix at the ground level before we start talking about that next step, evolution of a paramedic. And then let's look at that. And as you have started to put it, is this a solution for a problem or is this a solution looking for a problem, mm-hmm. right? What is the use case, well, I get what a use case for a paramedic practitioner is, and how much, how much, and and here's where I'm going to get, like, outside of, and I'll put it again into our wilderness austere context, outside of you being working in a very remote place where we'll say you have the diagnostic equipment to determine the type of infection or disease you have and prescribing the appropriate medication for it, to be fair, is, it is a rarity to have that sort of diagnostic capability in an right. healthcare environment that is far away from a hospital, right? And that's what I'm getting at, right? So yeah. just me being a, and we'll put it right back into this analogous community paramedic role, because that's what most people are envisioning it as, is this paramedic practitioner is going out making essentially house calls, checking in on patients, because maybe the dispatch information led, we'll have to update EMD, and it's now, okay, this is no longer a 911 response. They should have a paramedic practitioner come visit. And the paramedic practitioner will come visit you and determine if, is this heartburn from too much Taco Bell? Do you have GERD or do you have some other gastrointestinal issue? 
right? And then if necessary, there might be something, a medication that's appropriate that they could prescribe. Okay, that's cool. There are a lot of services out there that are now employing nurse practitioners to do this very level of work. I'm not saying this is something paramedics can't get into or would want to get into, but there's already a community that's out there interested in trying to pursue this level of work with essentially the old school house call from a doctor. And now it's these other advanced practice providers doing it. Secondly, and this is just my opinion, right? I haven't looked at this as deeply as Mike has, but the biggest difference between a paramedic practitioner and a community paramedic, as I see them right now, is the ability to prescribe meds and a master's degree, right? Yep. Most community paramedics, uh, depending on the patient they're going to see, there is a telemedicine consult portion of that visit where the paramedic does his assessment. He goes to the patient. They talk about history, recent events, blah, blah, blah. They dial up the doctor, maybe on an iPad or something. And the doc can FaceTime you, Teams, whatever platform they're using or some proprietary telehealth thing, right? Yep. And says, okay, Mrs. Johnson, paramedic Mike here is, I've seen your recent EKGs. These are your new vital signs. And this is what he's seeing with you. So I think your current meds are looking good. Do you have any concerns? Or based on his recommendations and what he's seeing, I think we're going to up your prescription of this. We're going to go from 50 to 75 milligrams per dose. And we'll see if that helps control your problem. And then that doc right there on his computer updates her prescription, right? Prescription didn't fall on the paramedic to write. And it's instances like that where maybe you're tweaking an already existing prescription that this paramedic practitioner could make some changes. Like, okay, you know, your this dose is not quite getting it done for you. So let's step it up to this next dosing level and they can update the prescription there. But I think it's it's a big step to say that we're just going to go into somebody's house, diagnose you with problem X, and then cut you a prescription. Even if I take my ISTAT or my EPOC, that's just giving me basic lab values. That's not telling me that this is a, a viral infection of whatever or a bacterial infection. And for folks, if you don't know, antibiotics work differently on one thing, vice another. Some will help other things grow and become worse. So you have to make sure you're prescribing the correct thing. Not everything is as quite as cut and dry, which is why getting labs done, looking for very specific things in the hospital, it is a thing that physicians do before they prescribe you things. And it's not just a, a way to charge you more money. I'm not saying that that doesn't occur on occasion, but it's, it's not the sole purpose for you getting labs done. Right? So in my view, and I would say again, aside from, and I would put the paramedic practitioner really needs to be that independent provider who is working in an austere environment, mm-hmm. right? Because if I'm just in a normal urban setting and I have this a program set up that's employing a paramedic practitioner, I can probably have the whole setups still for a community paramedicine program with telehealth consults. And based on my report and my physical findings and my observation of a patient right now, speaking directly with a physician, we can make some recommendations for new medications or changes to medications, changes to care plans, et cetera. And we move on and we're good. So I, like, I'm on board, right? I get it. You know, we want to make a career path. That's great. But you can't start the path at the top, in my personal opinion. We have to start at the bottom and get the foundation set. Well, so that was going to be my final point, And we got there it is, it is. regardless. I haven't, okay. There's a lot of different ways of saying this. There's Ben Franklin quotes. There's 
I think it was the CEO of GE, et cetera, et cetera. I think Einstein is quoted as saying, you know, if I had only an hour to solve a problem, I would spend 55 minutes defining it. Mm, exactly. Nobody's defined the problem yet. What's the problem we're solving? And the only answers I've heard so far is I want money or I want an expanded scope because it would be cool. I haven't yeah. heard a really good answer is to look, take education out of this. Because I think for anybody that's listened to this podcast for the last two years that we've done it, John and I are staunch advocates of more education makes you a gooder provider and a gooder provider is better for the patient, right? But education doesn't correlate to dollars. Education and the desire to pursue education and be a better practitioner is an innate driven thing because you want to provide better care to your patients, regardless of your environment. We tend to focus on the more wilderness, austere environment. The reality is that the more wilderness, austere environment in general is a bunch of orthopedic and like boo-boo treatments, right? We're not doing a whole lot of finger thoracostomies on people in the middle of the woods, <laughs> right? And yes, that could be a life-saving procedure. And there are not a lot of paramedics that are allowed to do that with standing orders, but you know what there are? Most states, at least I don't know of any states in the United States where this isn't possible. A doctor can write a standing order for just about anything the doctor wants to give you a standing order for and it's taught you to do. And if we want to get to the point where paramedics are prescribing medication for something, one, you got to show me where there's a hole in the system that can't be served by some other certification that allows for that practice, NPs, PAs, et cetera. They can go into a home before a care plan and prescribe a medication. The question that has to be answered is, why are we not doing that? Or what is the barrier to doing that? It turns out we need another education pathway and another set of skills that is different enough from existing skill sets to provide that care. I'm all in. I'm all in for education. If somebody were to offer me an opportunity and I had the time to go get a master's degree in paramedicine, I'd probably do it because I like knowledge. But all of the arguments I've heard so far have been paramedics don't have a career path in paramedicine, so we have to make one for them. And that means that we have to forklift things. And to come full circle to my original point, the compensation model for pre-hospital care doesn't work. It isn't completely broken. I mean, people are getting pre-hospital care, but it ain't ideal. Paramedics, by definition, are pre-hospital care providers. That's how it started, right? If we want to do more telemedicine, more pre-hospital care, more out-of-office care models, I think we need to spend a lot of time thinking about that and figuring out how to do it. But I'm not sure adding another degree program and making paramedics go to more education in an environment where we're not really sure how we're going to pay for it. If you provided a career path for paramedics to make more money, but it turns out there's no money on the back end to pay for it, it's not going to matter. And fundamentally, there are a lot of pathways for people to go from paramedic to NP, paramedic to PA. It's possible yeah. today. So where are those failing that we have to go make yeah. something else in lieu or in parallel to it? That's what I'm saying is there is a career path for paramedics who don't want to ride 911 trucks forever. And it's nursing, right? Mm -hmm. Or continued medical education, right? Like mm -hmm. I've known a couple of guys who are paramedics for, you know, five some years and then they decided like, okay, I've had enough of the truck. I want to get in. I like medicine. And they become nurses and they become critical care nurses. And then maybe they do some flight time on a helicopter to maintain a little bit of that pre-hospital time. Or maybe they don't. Guys that, that intentionally joined the fire department became paramedics in the process of going to medical school. Yeah. Right? And that's, yeah, I mean, I've known a lot of people, especially if you work with volunteer rescue organizations, right? You have a lot of your young EMTs and paramedics are going to PA or med school, right? Because they need clinical contacts, which great if, EMS is a stepping stone, which it, it is. Let's be honest. Let's not pretend it's not. EMS is a stepping stone to other professions, whether that's fire service or other healthcare professions, nurses, PAs, doctors, right? Mm -hmm. Cool, right? I'd rather have some guy that comes in, 
and is a really good paramedic for five, six years, goes and becomes a nurse and understands what pre-hospital providers do, what the challenges of that truck are, and appreciates it when we show up to the hospital, right? Or they become PAs or they full-on go to med school, right? Those guys, like talk to the some of those physicians who were former paramedics, EMTs, like maybe they did a for four years while they were in college and stuff, they volunteered at a local rescue squad and became EMTs or paramedics and what their perspective is on EMS and paramedicine, right? It's totally different and it's generally much more favorable towards us than those who have not. I mean, I think the average right now for someone to stay career, EMS only, not just fire service, but EMS, the average provider is only staying in the profession about five years right now. Mm -hmm. We've got an incredibly high turnover rate and... Well, but right. so let, let me, but, I'm going to interrupt you and say, yes, that's true. Is that a problem? Well, but that's what I was going to say is, is that a problem though? Right. And this is, and you and I have had this discussion. We've had this discussion sitting around in ambulance bay. We've had this talk driving around in an ambulance, going to and from calls and events. Mike and I are generally of the mindset that a paramedic should be the top of the line pre-hospital provider. And that should be what your specialty is. Like when somebody has an event, and then you might show up to their house and it turns out to be a whole lot of nothing. Or it's one of those times, and this is a recent experience of mine. Oh, you know, my back hurts. I just started a new exercise regimen. I just, mm -hmm. I need something. So they want to go to the hospital. Cool. And so you give them some pain meds, you put them on a four lead, and then you start noticing like, huh, that's weird. You put them on the 12 lead and go, that's not real back pain anymore. You're having a STEMI. Let's go down to a different hospital. Mm -hmm. That's what paramedics need to be able to do, right? It's not just, I want to stay a paramedic for 30 years and I want to be able to make 120K a year as a paramedic level practitioner. I don't think it's this career field's ever going to get to that point. And we might, but it's certainly not going to be in my lifetime example, realistically. My back hurts. I've now looked at your EKG, right? Technology may evolve to allow us to do more things, but at the end of the day, if STEMI needs surgeon, and I yeah. don't ever see a paramedic practitioner cracking somebody's chest in the back of the unit and going, let's go ahead and rotor rooter this thing, right? Like they're not going to be doing catheterization in the back of a unit. It, yeah. it requires a different set of equipment, at least in our right. current world. So again, I, look, if somebody, the one person that's actually going to listen to this at this point, we're 42 minutes in, most people have turned it off by now. If somebody can make the argument as to where a paramedic practitioner has an appreciable impact on the outcome of patients and, and an improvement in the general life of people that we are providing care to, I'm all ears. But so well, far, the only, only argument I've heard is we want to be able to do more stuff and we want a career path. And there has to be a problem with a solution for us yeah. to invest in that problem solution. And, and I think something that people often forget is in the, in the medical community writ large, independent practitioners that aren't physicians are not always looked kindly upon by physicians. And this is still a physician's world, right? Whether you work pre-hospital EMS, you're in nursing, you're a PA, medicine belongs to doctors, right? Mm -hmm. this, this, I mean, it, it does. And you don't have to like that opinion, but medicine is the realm of doctors, okay? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you're an NP or a PA or a paramedic, right? You essentially function at the whims of doctors. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's some nurses out there and some PAs be like, oh, I can like whatever. And it's like, Yes, at a certain level, you are. You're independent. And you can do stuff. But as Mike said, you're not generally fixing those problems that need fixing, right? Those are still physicians that are doing that gig. And a lot of physicians don't like the creep that has occurred over the last few years 
from NPs and PAs, right? Mm -hmm. Some physicians are fully supportive because it takes, especially like in a hospital ED environment, right? Where a lot of people come into the ED are not true emergencies, just like we see in the ambulance. And those NPs or PAs, predominantly I think PAs in the EDs these days, can take a lot of that caseload off of them and allow the doctors to truly focus in on the folks that really need their attention, right? So there's Mm -hmm. absolutely a use case for nurse practitioners and PAs. Don't get me wrong. There was a point where I was going to go become a PA, but just work, family Mm -hmm. stuff didn't allow it. But I was all set to go become a PA because I thought that would be awesome, right? Not quite a doctor, don't have to do all that schooling, but still be really involved in medicine. Either way, it didn't work out. I'm a paramedic instead. It is what it is. But I think Mike's onto something, right? Like if the only argument is we want something else in our career path, we've got to build like right now, you need a singular career path. Because right now, private ambulance, interfacility transport, 911 in a fire service, 911 in a third service community, uh, you know, as a municipal model, flight, etc. There's already different career paths per se. And not all of those necessarily would lead you to a paramedic practitioner level thing. And then kind of rounding it all back with my other comments, besides the ability to prescribe, what is the paramedic practitioner bringing to the table that an established community paramedic program right now is not? And that's, that's kind of where I'm at is like, what are they offering besides the ability to prescribe meds that a community paramedicine program is not providing for? Because I, I see it as largely the same patient population. Mm-hmm. Me right? too. And, Me too. And this is this kind of like, you know, the we need to fix the reimbursement model, but also the patient disposition model, right? So even if it gets dispatched as a 911 response and I go show up there, it's like, okay, you're not really having a no kidding emergency right now. Tell you what, we're going to set you up an appointment. I get out my tablet device and I can see, oh, uh, community paramedic Johnson is on today and he has an open spot at three o'clock. I'm going to have him show up at your house, talk to you about your whatever it is. Maybe your ankles are swelling due to, you know, a little CHF exacerbation or something. But it's not something that you need to go to the hospital for and be seen for right now. And that might be a bad example because sometimes those folks do need to go. Yeah. But your point is well taken. But it's like, and then he can set it up and this guy can follow up. It's the middle ground problem. Not a 911 emergency, but doesn't need to go to the visit. But but adding more education levels to a to a system that doesn't solve for that problem or doesn't have a pathway to solving that problem isn't the solution to the problem. I agree, right? And so that's what I'm saying is that's what I get back to is or time with that is the ability to take you to an urgent care type facility, you know, a non-ED. It's like, ah, you don't really have to go to the emergency room, but you can come to this clinic, get seen by a doctor or a PA a lot of times, maybe get a couple of labs or an x-ray to see, is that thing broken? And yes, they can cast you up, splint you, and you'll probably get in and out a lot quicker than if I take you to the emergency department and you're not an emergency, because then you're going to sit in a chair out in the waiting room after triage for perhaps several hours, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of other fixes that need to be made in the pre-hospital EMS world long before we really start thinking about paramedic practitioners. But that's, again, yeah. it's my opinion, and I know you're largely love of the like mind. I largely agree. So I'm just going to gonna wrap this one up and say, neither one of us is against education, but building an education framework that requires more education to do a job that is similar to some other job that is already available for people that doesn't have a clear impact on the outcome for patients doesn't seem like the best path. And I, I like the way Sean summarized it. If we're going to pursue paramedic practitioner as a thing, we got to start at the bottom and move up. 
We can't start at the top and come down. That's a very good way of summarizing this. So, and I will say that I think if we start at the bottom, there's a really good chance that the profession of paramedicine would grow and evolve to become something more than it is now. But you're not going to institute a practitioner of paramedicine and then suddenly have Bob's EMT school with a thousand hour paramedic program suddenly get better because there's something <laughs> yeah. above it, right? Yeah. If we want to, if we want to pursue practitioner level things, right? An associate's degree in paramedicine as a requirement, additional education in pathophysiology and general biology for existing paramedics is the beginning. It's the steps toward yeah. expanded scope. It is not making a new certification level at the top end and then saying, well, there's this other thing that requires more education. It just doesn't feel like the path. And with that, I feel like I'm ranting now. So unless Sean's got anything <laughs> else to say, I'm just going to hit the stop button. Yeah, I think, yeah, we've discussed. If you haven't figured out our stance yet, then hit replay. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> All right, see you later. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.